Hello, hello, hello. Welcome along to Benchcast. I'm your host, Neville Dunhoom. Today I'm going to be talking to former England captain Chris Robshaw. He'll be talking about life in San Diego and looking back at this year's Six Nations. This show is thanks to McCarthy's Interiors. They're based in Douglas Court and Ballyconning Shopping Centre. Chris is currently in Nevada and the Wi-Fi wasn't great, but all in all, it's a good listen. Enjoy. Chris, how are you? Yeah, I'm great, thank you. Yeah, it's um, seven o'clock in the morning over here, so nice and early. Right. Um, but yeah, we're over here in Las Vegas, um, so yeah, it's been interesting. You were your weights doing a weight session this morning, or or we got one after. So today's our, our Tuesday, so we've got weights and double rugby. Um, so yeah, it's a kind of tough day of the week, kind of whatever club or international setup I've been in, kind of Tuesday and Wednesday are generally the, the tough days where most of the heavy lifting and the heavy work gets put in and you kind of filter out towards the game so you're as fresh as possible. Yeah, uh, I suppose let's talk about rugby in America because I was a big fan of Martin Johnson when I was younger and I read his book and he used to always say that because I think he played over in America for a bit or he played American football, I think, for a bit and um, he used to always say rugby is a sleeping... Uh, Rugby is a sleeping giant in America. Like, can you see it that way over there? Yeah, he was he was a massive uh, massive fan of NFL, Martin Johnson, um, and I think so. And I, I kind of hope so. I think a lot of the players over here, an issue I think they have at the moment is where a lot of them pick it up as a second sport, where they don't quite make it in an NFL, an NBA, or something like that. So they pick it up between probably the ages of seventeen and twenty two. So there's an incredible power athletes, uh, their fitness, their abrasive, all that kind of stuff. But whereas we've been playing the game from kind of five, six years old, our whole lives, they probably there's some without those kind of intricate skills. So that's what they're trying to develop and trying to gain. And I think the more they can get people playing at grassroots level in this country, the better they'll be because both in the, the men's and women's team, in the seventh circuit, they... They do, and they compete in most tournaments to win. Yeah, but the only the only problem, though, Chris, is that is it? Do you think it's realistic to have a good rugby team in time to come? Because you aren't about sporting bodies. You're up against the NBA, the NFL, and then obviously the geography comes into it that it's so vast. Yeah, definitely, and I think the geography is a massive point about it. And I probably didn't realise in the UK how much travel was until someone said it's it's basically playing between Ireland and Istanbul you're covering that many terrains, you're covering that many territories. So this week we go to Austin. Uh, so obviously we're basically in Vegas. We go to Austin this weekend. Next weekend we go to Atlanta. The weekend after we go to Houston. Um, then I think we're home for a couple of weeks. Then I think we go to Washington one week. So yeah, there's there's huge kind of travel times and stuff. And, and that does make it tough. And I think because like you said, there are so many different governing bodies and kind of regions and I spoke to Ben Foden last week and we played in New York and I was saying how hard the pitches were here because we're playing in the middle of the desert, basically. And he was saying, well, they're so hard here because we're shoveling snow up our pitches every day. And I think that it's not like when in England, in London, it might be a bit warm and then you go up to Newcastle and it's a couple of degrees colder. Um, Yeah, there's such a kind of vast difference. And, And that's something we've really got to enjoy and experience here. Because when we first got to Vegas, uh, we were quite strict in what we could do, but we could kind of do everything outdoors. So there's a lot of kind of exploring and walking around. And and one day we're in, the, within kind of 45 minutes, one day we're in the middle of the desert. 
the next day we're up in the mountains in the snow yeah. and there's kind of inches of snow there so it's so it's so extreme over here and there's and tell us you're with san diego legion but how come you're based in nevada at the moment and also is there, there's a lot of money being pumped into the game over there now is there yeah, so we um, are supposed to be San Diego Legion. So I thought kind of leaving London where I'd always been, kind of spent my whole life to a nice San Diego coast, be on the beach. They say off the training, they do all their recovery in the sea instead of ice baths and all this kind of stuff. But because COVID was a lot worse in California is in Nevada, but a lot of American teams tend to do. They pick up a franchise or an organization and just move it. So we've moved to Nevada where COVID isn't, isn't as bad this, at the moment. Um, and we're going to be based here for the whole season. So, yeah, we're living in Las Vegas for six months, which I never thought I'd, I'd ever say. And actually, we're going to have our baby here, yeah. uh, which, again, is, is quite extreme. I tell my wife that if it's a boy, we call it Elvis. And if it's a girl, we call it Presley, yeah. uh, which I don't think she's too keen on at the moment. Yeah. Um, but look, it's a, it's a great experience. Uh, it's very different COVID-wise to back home and, and what we can and can't do. Um, we're allowed to go and eat indoors now from a team point of view. We had a team meal on Saturday after the game and it was like normality was back in England and uh, pre all the COVID stuff. There was a whole team in there. People were shaking hands and all this kind of stuff. And it was, a, it was definitely quite, it felt quite strange but also yeah. quite nice that hopefully this will return and the norm will hopefully be back in the near future. Yeah, and tell us why why America and not Japan then, for instance. Like, I know Jesse Krill, the, the South African, is playing over in Japan. And I, I was actually in San Diego myself a few years ago. It's a lovely place, but I'll let you answer why America and not somewhere else. Yeah, I think one of the ones, and probably one of the biggest ones, is actually I'm very dyslexic and I struggled massively as a kid with languages and stuff and I thought to go somewhere and, and properly enjoy it you have to be able to speak the language kind of fluently I didn't want to go to a place where I might be having a coffee with some of the guys and they're all speaking in a native language and you're only picking up kind of every third word or something you're trying yeah, to get involved but Chris, you, you, quite set a, you, you have a bit of an English accent. Like, I've been to America a few times and I have an Irish accent and it's it's quite hard to, for them to understand us. <laughs> it is, especially when I mumble and have my mask on as well. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get some of the lingo. Uh, my mum thinks I'm picking up the accent already. Yeah. Or some <laughs> of the slang. Um, but look, I, I think you can get a bit more involved. I think the other one was, look, I'm 34 now. Over here, they play 16 games a season, whereas in a European league, you're playing 30-plus games. Um, and I just wanted to I just wanted to really enjoy it. Like I said, I've grown up and lived my whole life in, in southwest London. I've been at Harlequin since I was 17 years old. For me, it was just living somewhere completely different. And I kind of hoped in the coast, you'd been to San Diego, what a beautiful place. Um, yeah, I hope to kind of have a completely different experience. Yeah, and your father passed away when you were very young, and you, there's three boys in the family. Was that tough, I suppose, on your mother? Which I can only imagine it was with three boys. And where do you get your rugby from? Was that from your father's side? Yeah, unfortunately, my my father passed from a heart attack when I was five. Um, I was yeah one of three boys on the middle. I was five, and my eldest was seven, and my little one was three. And yeah, it was it was massively tough on the whole family, my mum in particular. 
but she she did such a tremendous job in, in raising us and giving us the opportunities to go and do what we could. Um, but no, they, they my my family weren't particularly rugby-oriented. I was always quite sporty, and as I as I got a bit bigger, I got a bit more into rugby and a bit better suited to it. I play a bit of football over here, or what they call soccer. They, they think I'm a bit like kind of Ronaldo, whereas in England I can, I've got kind of two left feet, but over here I'm, they're quite impressed with my skills. So I told some of the Quinns boys about that. But yeah, look, it was it was, it was massively tough on, on my family. Uh, but yeah, she gave us all the support she could, my yeah. mum, and would always back us if we were going to do something fully. Yeah. Um, actually, just before we move on, uh, I see you're, you're a keen golfer. Is cricket your other sport? And what, what team do you follow in the football? Or do you follow anyone? Yeah, I'm an Arsenal fan. All I'm right. an Arsenal fan. So yeah, it's some good days and bad days. Um, yeah. But um, I, uh, yeah, I like, I like my golf. I played a bit of cricket at school, but not not massively. But yeah, I, I enjoy getting out there on, on a course. I'm not the best golfer, but I just tend to enjoy it with some friends and not yeah. take it too seriously. I think, and um, I think with golf, like everyone can hit that kind of one good shot or that one good hole. In. And it just makes you keep coming back. I might also lose uh, quite a few balls. Yeah, something, yeah. But no, I, I tend to enjoy it. And it's a good good thing to do with some friends. Yeah. And then looking at your England career, you had 66 caps for England. And I think you played over 300 times for Harlequins. Like in Ireland here, like I'm I'm a monster man. You know, it's it's born and bred in you nearly. Like you'd never play for Leinster if you're from Munster. But in England, you were very much loyal to Harlequins the whole way up. Like sometimes, like you take Danny Cipriani. I think he's... He's coming back. I don't know who he's going to know. He's coming to some other team in the Premiership, but he moved around quite a bit. Like you were very much Harlequins by true and true. Yeah, very much. Look, I supported Harlequins as a kid. I had a, I had a top that I used to run around the gardening or go play in the park or something like that. And I was, I was very fortunate. They picked me up when I was 17 and I always thought to, to win with Harlequins and to achieve with Harlequins would be more important and more rewarding to me than going somewhere else and trying to win. And, and when I was younger, I, I had some opportunities to look, but but then after that, I never really looked. I never wanted to explore that. I always loved it, and I always wanted to get I and mean, achieve more with them. And you're doing as much as you possibly can, and then kind of ask you like, could you have done this and could you have done that? And hindsight's such a, a wonderful thing, like that it plays in your mind nicely. Um, but no, look, I, I love my time there. Like you said, to play 300 times, I actually left the club on my 300th appearance after that. Yeah. Um, and they've been such a fantastic club to me. They looked after me when I was young. I now have a bar there at the Stoop, which is, I look forward to going back and opening and, and hopefully crowds can come in and enjoy a, a nice lager top or anything like that. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's just been such a, a great place to me and yeah, not one I wanted to leave. But in saying that, I I think with all sportsmen and I looked at CJ Standard's comments about retiring this week and he wrote something key and it, and it is true. You just know when the time's right, just mentally you know. And for me, it was last season was uh, the right time for me to move on. Just uh, I wasn't ready to call it a day from rugby and I still wanted to have some of those experience which I may have passed up on in my time with Harlequins and I think with being in England to play for England you have to play in a club in England and that was always my biggest drive to go and play for England as much as I could and um, that was the biggest thing for me 
Yeah, but before we move on to England now, is that uh, what's your plans? Like you say, you weren't ready to finish with rugby yet. And I think you're right because you're retired, you're retired for long enough, you know, so you might as well keep playing as long as you can. But like, will you come back to the UK, do you think? Or will you settle in over? And, like, as you said, you've got a baby on the way and, you know, a wife. Yeah, so, um, so the plan over here, and this is another thing that worked quite well, is it's a six-month season. Right. So I'll be here generally from January to about early July and this season it's been pushed back a little bit just because of, of COVID so we finished kind of August time uh, then we'll probably be back in the UK and uh, I'm not sure what I'll do then to be honest I've got a couple of business interests I'm involved with unfortunately I, I did have an events business and uh, in hospitality and all that but with the COVID pandemic unfortunately that's uh, taken a massive hit and uh, and gone under I've got a, a kind of couple of coffee shops and a soup business so there's some things I, I could get involved with, and, but it's also enjoying it, but also planning for that next phase. Because yes, you do own a rugby player, but you don't earn enough to sit down and retire. You have to find another career. But the, the UK is always home, really, to you. So I suppose one day, yeah, you'd like to go. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. Look, I think with with having children and stuff, they say you do want to probably be around the family and grandparents and all that kind of stuff, but. But we do want to enjoy this experience. We do want to enjoy this chapter of our life, um, of experience somewhere. Will we come straight back? I'm not sure. Uh, we've come very much over here open-minded. Um, do we do a bit of traveling around the States? Do we go to South America? Um, but you have to go somewhere where you can work as well, don't you? Yeah. So that yeah. will be obviously a massive thing playing on my mind. Uh, my wife's a classical singer. I'm not an operatic singer, and she sings actually for the the NFL games when they're back in London. All right. So that that's kind of towards the back end of the year and a lot of, a lot of her kind of bigger events are towards the back end of the year. So that was another thing we've come over here. It, it worked out quite well in terms of that. Okay. And I suppose we're talking about England. Um, you had 66 caps for England. And I suppose the success England have now, and they should have really won that World Cup. Yeah. I had a few quid in England actually to win the World Cup that time, but they fell short. But um, like the likes of yourself, uh, Mike Brown, uh, D- uh, is it Danny Kerr, the scrum half, um, Ben Foden, who you played against, you played a massive part in that English team. And also England's loss is Ireland's gain because Stuart Lancaster now is doing a great job at Leinster and Andy Farrell, who I got a lot of time for, he was under pressure, but... Did a great win against England now yeah, at the weekend. Unfortunately, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, tell us about your time in England. Like, did you in, enjoy it? Sixty-six caps, and what an honour to be captain. Oh, massively! Look, I was so proud to, to captain England, and the amount of times I did it. Of course, I'm, I'm not proud of the way it finished with the World Cup and and how we kind of went out. And that was massively tough for myself, Stuart, Andy, all everyone you mentioned, and many, many more. It was a, a very difficult time. Uh, which did take a bit of time. And I think with international sport, it's a roller coaster. It's a massive roller coaster. You have some incredible highs and you have some pretty deep lows as well. And and I think with all of that, it's trying not to get too too high when the good times are happening and also too low when you need to stay in kind of this happy medium. Um, but yeah, I love my time playing for England. And I think with, and especially the captain and leading the guys out of Twickenham, the flamethrowers go off, 80,000 people cheer, you sing the national anthem, that's that's a feeling I'll always want more of, and I'll give anything to have that experience again, but you you can't, once it's gone, it's gone, and and people always say, relish it, enjoy it, but it's a pressured environment, 
and it you are pressured you're going from one week to the next and and all that kind of stuff it, it is tough um but no look, I, I love my time playing and, and of course i'd want to do it again and the the rumors that england might play america in the summer um or canada and so they, they might even be over here yeah. i don't i'm not saying that thing i'll be yeah. pulled up it, but maybe I'll get to catch up with some of the guys. Well, who knows? You might you might get selected for the Lions, you know. But um, just talking, <laughs> just talking. I, I suppose one of the questions a few of my buddies wanted me to ask you that I'd have you on is that one of the things that, uh, unfortunately, with you all going about there's highs, there's lows. That time in the World Cup where, like, I know I I know now hindsight's a great thing, but like watching the t- like, you know, when you kick for the corner or kick for the post. What was what was the thoughts behind that that time? Because I actually thought myself personally that uh, how were you supposed to know that a draw was good enough? I thought you were one hundred percent right to go for the win, you know. So I don't know if you want to hit, tell us your point of view. Yeah, look, I think at that moment we we wanted to go for a win, and and that was on me. Um, before we were dominant in the game, unfortunately, the ten minutes before we conceded a lot of points um, and kind of all momentum had gone against us and. Look, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And yes, if I had my time again, I would have potentially gone for the other option and, and hopefully you would have got it. We, we don't know for sure. Um, a tough kick for, for whoever was going to kick. Um, and look, that was definitely some of the toughest parts of my career to be able to react to that and then go to a, go to the Australia game the following week, uh, which we got convincingly beat and do the press conference after that was, was tough and intense. And I remember after that, I was down and Sean Fitzpatrick emailed me and he was on the Harlequins board, so we got to know each other a little bit, the World Cup winner. And he said, look, nothing anyone can do or say to you at the moment is going to make you feel better. But the sun will come up again. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week. It might not even be next month. But it will come up again and you will be okay. And there are so many influential people like that just saying, like, you need time. My wife was fantastic. Uh, Stuart was great. Connor was great. Um, my teammates were fantastic because in all honesty, after that, I was dead behind the eyes. I was going through the motions. I was good enough to play for the, the club side and the, in the premiership and stuff and kind of get by. Um, but yeah, it took me a long, long time. And I remember we actually played Wales in that Six Nations, the first game back at Twickenham after the World Cup, the team that knocked us out, all that kind of stuff. As you can imagine, the papers having a bit of a field day. Uh, is it revenge, all that? And we managed to win. We almost lost the game, actually, but we managed to win it in the end. And we're doing a lap of honour. And as we're doing a lap of honour, I just broke down in tears. I just had to get an extension. I just broke down and I just kind of, yeah, couldn't hold it. And it was, so many of the guys came up to me afterwards, just like, I didn't realise how much it actually affected you. And I think that was something which, if I went through that again, mentally, I would want to deal with it better because... I wasn't in the right headspace and my mental state wasn't good enough. And I think now in sport and in, in life that, especially in the masculine world and well, so perceived, there is so much more about it and there's so many much more opportunities to talk about stuff. Whereas at the time I felt, I felt so ashamed. I felt guilty. I felt I'd let a lot of people down. Um, and I would definitely yeah, deal with it mentally myself because it, it put massive strains on Myself, my wife, my friends, my family. Um, yeah, it was a hugely tough time. Yeah, it's 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 nice that 
you call out Sean Fitzpatrick and the backing of your wife because little things like that, like an email from a legend like that, makes all the difference. But um, um, just massively, yeah. And I, sorry, I think, and I think that was one of the biggest things that all my friends and family were were being brilliant and supportive, but they didn't really know what it was like. They were kind of like, yeah, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. But I think until you you've had that experience of being written on the front and back of papers and all the knives are coming out and all that. I don't know, but so many people reached out to me, like Alistair Cook reached out to me and Kevin Sinfield and international captains who had been there and had these experiences. And now for myself, it's it's using that and almost passing that on to the next generation and, and being there for them. Yeah. I suppose before I move on, I'll ask you one last negative question is that I didn't realise when the lads pointed out to me that you were playing that time Harlequins versus Leinster and the Bloodgate scandal. Like when that happened at the time, like it must have, what was the mood like and what, what was it like really being involved in that? Yeah, that was, um, again, to to see, because I think there are these, these things that rock your sport, aren't they? Yeah. Worldwide, they, they make kind of, ripples around the world and, and this was making huge kind of waves and the inside of an organization and see it from the inside whereas you're not reading about it on kind of in the paper or you're not hearing about it on podcasts or blogs was was a different experience it was a sad experience because uh, i remember our coach dean richards who i'm i'm oh, a lot of my my kind of rugby stuff too was was banned for three years we had doctors and physios who were struck off um, we went on the on the road and I don't think we won a game on the road all season. We were being mocked and this is people making a we would go to Leicester, I remember, and there'd be vampires in the in the crowd kind of throwing like red kind of confetti at us yeah. and blood like kind of paint and stuff like that and just making light of it. And and look, that's that's kind of the funny side of it. But seeing it from the inside and seeing the owners and the knocking it had of them from them to kind of stepping down from board levels and all that kind of stuff was it is horrible to see but uh, I'm also I don't want to say glad I've seen it but I have that experience in me that I know kind of actually when people are going through this how stressful it is because I was only a young guy at the time but I was playing a lot and a lot of my friends lost jobs and stuff and it was yeah it was a really a really tough time for the club but again yeah we shouldn't have done it yeah, well, look, I, I don't know if you follow horse racing, but there was a big news in, in Ireland and Britain that Gordon Elliott, the trainer, he got mm. there was a picture taking him sitting on a horse. So, you know, things happen in sport, but then you get lynched for it. And one question I'll ask you to do with that match, because I was a big fan of Rocky Elson at that time. And you oh yeah, you, you were only a young fellow, I suppose, playing against him. Like, what a, what a player to come up against, you know? What a player. And I still think one of the best sixes I've ever played against. Yeah. I remember that year, and again, I was young. Um, I didn't really know too much about my team played for Australia. Big guy. But I remember when he came over here, I think he was man of the match in every European game he, he was, played. Yeah. He, yeah. he was just phenomenal. And I've never seen anything like it. But I always remember kind of after the game how stern he was. He wasn't one, I, I don't know him at all. Like, literally, that was my only experience ever, ever kind of meeting him, playing him. And I thought, what a player. What a player. But after, he's not like kind of big arms in the air celebrating. It's almost like in his mind, it's the next job. Like I've done my job today. Now it's about moving forward and, and going for the next one. But yeah, and I, I even say to this day, actually, he is one of the best players I've ever played against. 
Yeah, I think he brought he brought Leinster on leaps and bounds that time. But mm. um, to move on to finally, then just to talk about the Six Nations, uh, I like what I like about interviewing players. I suppose you're not in the England camp now anymore. Is that I'm hoping you can talk more freely? Is Eddie Jones? Do you think he's still the right man for the job? Because there's kind of seems to be a bit of a hangover from the World Cup, I suppose. You know, to lose a final and to finish effectively last in the Six Nations, well, just ahead of Italy, was very disappointing as a English person. Chris, you're gone there. Hold on. Are you back? You there? Neville? Hi, Chris. Can you hear? Hi, can yeah. you hear me? I can, yeah. So you just cut out there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Sorry. So yeah, on Eddie. Yeah. I don't know. Do you want to ask the question again? I'll, 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 I'll ask it again, and then we'll go okay. from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hold on. I'll just hit record again. Right, we're we're still recording, so it didn't. So it should be. I'll just be able to edit it up. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, one of the things I like about speaking to someone that's not involved in the camp anymore, I suppose, Chris, is that I can probably ask you more freely about Eddie Jones. Um, do you think he's still the right man for England? Like, England effectively finished, last, well, fifth, last in the tournament. And um, do you think there might be a bit of a hangover from the World Cup? Yeah, look, I, th- I think whenever you're, you're England manager, captain, players, there are always going to be questions when things don't go, go well or right because the resources you have, the player pool, all that kind of stuff. We, we've also got to remember that last year, England won the Six Nations and they won the Autumn Cup, the two things up for grabs. Yes, things haven't gone smoothly this time. Um, I think you also have to look at their, the mental effect of this campaign, where they have been in the bubble. And look, I know it's been in other sports and stuff as well, and other organisations and, and other teams, even in this tournament, may have dealt with it. But... Uh, to only see your family twice throughout the two months, uh, I think has played a part. Um, but yes, look, I definitely think Eddie is, is still the right man. For me, he's the best man manager I've ever worked with and one of the best coaches, if not the best coach I've ever worked with. And I think even when when I was involved with my last one, actually, we, we finished fifth. Set this time last time or in the last cycle of the World Cup. And then they went on, I think they came second the following year and then they went on to get to the final of the World Cup. So, yes, I'm sure he'll have to go away, answer some questions and, and put things in place and readdress things. But I still very much believe he is the right man. And uh, I think little things with Eddie, with he always wants to learn, he always wants to improve. But when I talk about his man manager, it's little things like every single morning, he'll, we'll have kind of in a traditional kind of a normal, normal world, we'll have breakfast in a big room, tables of 10 kind of thing like that. He'll walk around every single person whether it's a guy in for the first time to his captain to his kit man to his head coach and acknowledge everyone in the room and just give them a little bit of time but it's the way he treats people some people like uh, myself he'll just have a quiet word with time and again and, and be quite honest there's other guys who give responsibility to empower them someone like a James Haskell who's a bit of a larger than life character yeah. will, will, they'll take the mick out of each other all day and that will get the best out of it so he knows how to get the best but look I know him and I know the players and they're not happy and 
and they won't be won't be happy with how this this tournament's gone. But I think the brilliant thing about the Six Nations, and not so much is, is that one bounce of the ball, one wrong thing, can cost you a grand slam, can cost you a tournament. You look at look at Wales yeah. and and Wales, I think, and you. Can, Six Nations are massively about building momentum because earlier in the tournament, they didn't look great. They may have even got a bit lucky playing against yeah. two kind of teams that got red cards, going to 40 men's, but they eked out those games. And then all of a sudden, it just starts building and building and building. And you, you saw in the weekend, they were, what, a couple of minutes away from, from a Grand Slam. Uh, well, they, they still could win the championship. but And I think that's why it's, it's such a brilliant tournament to play in. And that's why the fans love it. And, the sooner we can get fans back bearing it in, of course, a safe way, the better. But like, because Clive Woodward on ITV was actually saying that Eddie Jones, there needs to be a proper debrief after the World Cup. And like, I, one of the other question I was asking as well, because I'm interested, like we got a system here in Ireland of bringing through players. Uh, like when you look at the playing pool, the numbers England have of players, like you should be throwing out players the whole time. Like, did you go to a rugby school in secondary school? Is that how you came through? So yeah, I went to a uh, sport and dyslexic school, uh, a place called Milford down in Somerset, which is quite sporty. There's been quite a few of the England guys. Macko went there, uh, Jonathan Joseph. Um, yeah, a couple of guys have, have come through the system. And, and yeah, like we, we tend to get picked up from academies as we're relatively young. And I think even now, it's probably getting a little bit younger. Picked up at 17 and through the academy and... And and like like you over you guys over there, we have kind of that that kind of structure. Then we have kind of the under, I think it's under twenties with England, under eighteens, sixteens, um, and kind of they they do monitor people and monitor players coming through the system. And yeah, look the, the depth we have, you would you would always hope we'd be up there or there or thereabouts. Um, for whatever reason, things didn't, didn't quite go to plan. I think our, our discipline wasn't wasn't good enough in this tournament. We scored the same amount of tries as Ireland this this game. But the, the score line was kind of blown away. Okay. Um, just find a few questions, Chris. Is that, I suppose, the line store, it was a quick one. Well, I suppose it's pointless asking, do you think it'll go ahead? Because I suppose no one knows. But like, uh, if I was asked to pick a lines 15, could you name it for me? Or is that putting you on the spot? Oh, wow. Um, I, th- I think it, they're doing all they can to get it to go ahead. Um, obviously in a safe way I I don't think it would probably be back in the UK I think if they were to do it they would go to South Africa and maybe do it behind closed doors I just don't see I don't see why they don't push it back to next summer but someone said to me because of like the likes of England Ireland Scotland they have their own tours next summer so that's out of the question yeah I think also that but unfortunately on the back of the Lions here because you play so much rugby you go into it and then there's a World Cup the following summer so all of a sudden you're taking away that kind of tour preparation. You're potentially asking guys to play a bit too much rugby. Um, from an outsider world, that probably would be more sensible. But I don't think many of the coaches would would like it. Um, I don't think the rest of the Southern Hemisphere would like it with the likes of Wales or England or going to those kind of nations to play down there. Um, what would my Lions team be? Well... It's amazing because all of a sudden it could change massively on the back of that game, England, Ireland, yeah. Ireland playing extremely well. I, I don't know if I can give you the whole game. I think it's Sam Simmons, who's not actually in England's reckoning. I think he'll sneak into it. Mm-hmm. I think especially if it goes to South Africa, hard pitches, he's fast, he's powerful. Um, 
as a whole team, I'm not sure. On my back row, I would go Falata, um, Sam Simmons, and Tom Curry. I think Tom Curry's England's best player at the moment. Great player. Um, he's from coming into the camp, first camp I was in, I think he was 18, 19 years old. A tough guy. I remember kind of Marlow, and we were having a mauling session, kind of went at him. And he didn't back down. He went straight back at him. And he was a 19-year-old kid. He's a tough kid. He's abrasive. Um, and I know people talk about other future captains, but I think he's definitely one to be spoken about. Uh, phenomenal player. Phenomenal. Yeah, he, he, he actually follows us as well. So hopefully I might, a, a lot of the England players follow us, actually. So I might get him on next. But uh, And then just to finish, Chris, um, I suppose just... Yeah, you've a baby on the way, and you're happily over. In, well, you're, you're based in Nevada then the whole time, and and life is good anyway. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, it's been a um, it's been pretty stressful uh, moving because we went to a couple of places in San Diego and here, and trying to work out the the American health system. And I mean, like the, the NHS is such a great system, especially at the moment with obviously COVID saving lives and what they do, but. In terms of the birthing units they have back there are, are incredible. So, to, yeah, it's been a bit of a surprise and trying to actually fully understand that. But look, we're, we're trying to fully embrace uh, the lifestyle in America. Yeah. We've had probably our, our fair amount of kind of in and out burgers and other kind of takeaway places if, if and I'm, all if, that kind of stuff, which is hard to resist. Yeah, if, yeah. I, if I was living in America, I'd be in Cheesecake Factory the whole time. <laughs> yeah, we haven't we haven't explored that one yet, but I've heard it's uh, it's heard it. But look, in all honesty, look, we're we're enjoying ourselves. Uh, the, the the other players are good. The the setups are, are quite good, and uh, yeah, just trying to make the most of of what this experience is. Actually, I got to ask you because you saw I put up that clip, the Nigel Owens one. I absolutely loved that. Uh... <laughs> What that was very funny. It comes right? around every. Yeah. <laughs> it comes around every time. I think he's the, I think he's the only person to full name me and call me Christopher, bar, uh, bar my wife and my mum when I've been bad or something. Yeah. Um, so I actually did a Q and A, and it's the first time because you you interact a lot with his recipe. You don't really get to know them, and and kind of Sims kind of unfortunately moving on from England, and he's retired now, and him and Wayne Barnes, all this kind of stuff. I probably crossed paths with them a little bit more, and asked him. I was like. Did someone put you up for it? Was it like a bet you had with your mates back in like an Irish pub, being an English v Welsh kind of rivalry yeah. and all that kind of stuff? And he he just started laughing. He just started laughing. He just said, "No, it was, um, it was literally a spare at the moment thing. It just came out." And I think that's what's brilliant about him. And if you see some of his clips that he's done in the past, unfortunately, yeah, whenever England play France, I tend to get the amount of memes and uh, social media feeds tend to pick up. Yeah. Um, but look, he's he's a he's a great referee to ref a hundred times. Um, well, I I think it's great about rugby, Chris. That like you can you, you can have that bit of fun with the ref. Like if that was football, I don't think it'd be the same. You know. Yeah, no, no, I, I I don't like comparing comparing the sports because I think both have some brilliant things and both have some things which need to be sorted out probably. But I think from a point of view, yeah, it's it's great because they are people. They are people, and it's good to have a bit of interaction and. I actually find you get on better and have a bit of a better repertoire with people who give something back as well. Well, and if you are being a bit of an idiot, they'll tell you, "Come on, mate, off you, off you go, kind of thing. go sort yourself out, go sort yourself out." Um, and it, he's had, yeah. If people want to YouTube some of his one-liners, 
Um, he's definitely had a, a good couple. And I've, yeah, I've heard a cough myself, but yeah, when you're in the back of it, you kind of put your head down and shake. All right, to finish, Chris, I do this with all my uh, guests. Uh, we're going to play 60 seconds for a fire questions at you. The Wi-Fi is a bit bad, but hopefully it'll, it'll hold up. So, first thing, favourite okay. thing, thing to do when you're day off? What a dog. Favourite film? Feeling? Film. I feel. Oh, uh... I enjoy wedding crashes. Alright, good show. Uh, go to karaoke song. Angels by Robbie Williams. Uh, hoodie or windbreaker? Hoodie. Tea or coffee? Tea. Career if you weren't a rugby player? Uh, fireman. Go to breakfast food. Scrambled eggs. Favourite chocolate bear? Crunchy. Biggest fear? Uh, well, sharks in San Diego. What's your weakness? Pick a mix and sweets. Uh, best player to play with and play against? Best player to play with, Owen Farrell. Uh, to play against, Richie McCaw. Yeah, and leg day or chest day? Always chest. <laughs> Chris, thanks a million for that. You've been a good sport. And you. Yeah. And thanks for listening. And thanks again to former English rugby captain Chris Robshaw. I must say I really enjoyed that, as I do all my guests. But Chris was very patient, as we did have issues with the Wi-Fi. And I wish him all the best out in San Diego and with his new baby coming soon. Remember, you can get this on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. And I'll be talking to someone else from the world of sport next week. This podcast is out roughly every Wednesday. Um, this podcast is thanks to McCarthy's Interiors. They're based in Douglas Court and Ballon Shopping Centre. I'm Neville O'Donoghue and I'm out of here.